All right, good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. Well, today we are uh, three weeks uh, left, I believe, in the class. We'll, we're going to do member service in the church uh, today, and then we will come back with governing standards, which Kai will do, which will be a little discussion on the form of government and some other um, ARP-related uh, things. And then Neil will finish this last two weeks um, mem- with uh, church discipline that I talked about last week. He'll, we'll go into that in a little more practical detail. Um, and then um, a wrap-up session. And the last two will be in the evening, uh, as scheduled next week's in the morning again um, with, uh, with Kyle. So if that, if that changes, we'll send an email out. But that's what I think, morning, evening, evening for the next three weeks. So let me open us in prayer and we will get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us work and you have given us rest. And as we rise into this day, uh, feeling the coolness of the, of the what seems like autumn air, uh, we praise you that, uh, that you bring new life in Christ. And as we're refreshed, as seasons come and seasons go, we're reminded uh, of your steadfast uh, attribute that you don't change, that although everything around us and us as well change and, and, and wear out like a garment, you are the same and your years have no end. And we uh, praise you uh, for your care and your, uh, and your um, providence over us and our church. And I pray that you'd be with us as we look to your word this morning. Help these men to be uh, strong in the faith and to see clearly the path that you've laid before them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are in leadership in the church. We've talked about uh, deacons. Last week we majored on the elders and the session and how we, how we, uh, what our job is as elders in the session and then how we interact. Um, and then today we're going to talk about member service in the church. How does everybody else fit in um, in the church? Um, and so I'm going to talk to you on a couple different topics. Um, where I want to start is this paper that we emailed to you last, uh, earlier this week, on uh, the role of women in the church. So, uh, as some of you know, uh, the ARP has a position related to women's service in the office of deacon as not a presbytery mandated uh, position like in the PCA, um, but they leave it up to individual sessions. So there's some ARP churches that have ordained women deacons and some that um, do not. There's some papers and uh, resolutions, I believe, in Synod now to, uh, to change that to make the ARP's position more like the PCA. But as of today, individual sessions need to make statements on these things. And so um, years ago, uh, not too many years ago, I guess 2014, uh, we wrote this paper on the roles of women in the church to make clear Christ's covenant's position on how we view men and women. And I really encourage you, if you didn't, we, Kyle and I um, designed a Sunday school class last fall on men and women in the church. And he did a three-week session um, that was really, really excellent. I really, if you haven't, if you weren't in that, um, I would encourage you to... Um, 
to look that up on Sermon Audio. It started with a historical overview of men and women in the church from creation ordinance all the way through, some practical stuff, and then a session that we thought was extremely important called Patriarchal Distortions. Um, So uh, I encourage you to go listen to that and understand that content if you weren't weren't in there last fall. So um, were you guys, just so I'm understanding what I'm teaching, was anybody in that class, those classes? Okay, so about half the room. Okay, all right, good. Um, Okay, so role of women in the church. Uh, I love this language, so I'm going to read it to you so we can process it a little bit. The goodness and creativity of God in creation is never more manifest than his creation of both men and women in his image. Both male and female God created in his image as equal image bearers. Now, rather uh, than filling the, vo- the world with monochromatic blandness, he has blessed humanity and the wonderful differences in males and females, with the wonderful differences in males and females. The roles of women, uh, the men and women are beautifully complementary in the family and in the church. In both of these God-ordained spheres, men are commanded to follow Christ in laying down their lives to serve their wives and the family. Ephesians 5, that passage we're familiar with well, um, and Uh, processing what it means to be a a husband for God and a wife for God. Uh, In the same way, elders and deacons are to lay down their lives in service to the body of Christ. Acts chapter 20, we hit that last week. Uh, Again, a reminder, that's where we ended last week. Acts chapter 20 starts with guard yourselves um, and then the flock. Um, And that's guard your relationship with Christ. But also, you know, you can take it practically a step further and worry about what you need to be doing before you worry about what other people need to be doing. Um, There's a lot to deal with in your own camp uh, before you think about others. Um, Acts chapter 20, wives are called to lovingly submit to their husbands, Ephesians 5 as well, in the same way that all members of a congregation should submit in the Lord to their leaders. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders, Hebrews 13. The session of Christ's covenant believes the Bible to be clear in its teaching that the offices of rule and teaching in the church are to be filled by men. Um, 1 Timothy 2.12, you guys are familiar with, with this passage, I believe. Um, no woman should, uh, let me just, actually, let's just look that up so we're clear. Um, this is a pretty important text uh, that some choose to just not worry about. 1 Timothy 2. Twelve. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was firm, formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So there's a lot that this passage doesn't say um, uh, that some people take and we hit a lot of that in this patriarchal distortions class. So I'm not going to go too far into depth, but there's certain things that it also doesn't say, um, and it doesn't say that a woman is to teach and exercise authority over a man in the church. It does say she is not to do that. So um, based on this and the general principles that are clear in the scripture of male uh, leadership in the office of deacon, I believe, and elders, some make the argument uh, that there's precedent for ordained women deacons, um, but we don't think that that is consistent with the rest of the teaching of Scripture uh, identifying male headship and the leadership of the church and the family. Uh, to take male headship and leader spiritual headship in the family 
and then extend that to the church and take an office that has authority to some extent um, in the office of deacon and to just change that makes no sense and seems inconsistent. Um, however, some make that argument. Where does that precedent come from? The precedent of? You said there's some precedent uh, for women to take office in the church. Uh, well, um, there's, uh, there's some references uh, in the Bible to uh, certainly women serving in um, authoritative roles, and some would say uh, even deacon type of service, right? And if you extend that to, uh, if you extend that line of thinking, which is true, and we believe that women can serve in deacon type roles, which they do all the time, um, but in an unordained, unauthoritative office. So as a member serving in the church, just like an unordained man. Um, uh, but if you take that line of thinking and you extend it to, uh, you basically extend the idea of um, what's predominant in our culture now that you know, women and men are the same, then you get to that point pretty quickly. And you know, the liberal church, I think it's, an, it's just an extension of the liberal church where uh, any notion of male headship and leadership is just completely done away with and um, women are um, serving as pastors, which... There's no, uh, there's no confusion in my, in, in my view and in our view as the church related to women pastors, but there's denominations all over the Christian church that, are, that have those, um, those things in, in play. So, so, um, so uh, elder and deacon are to be filled by a man, um, However, this position should not be taken um, to say more than it does. Um, so if you scroll down here, if I can figure out how to scroll down. So like any truth um, taken too far can, take, can be taken as um, an extreme position and much harm can be done by it, and much harm has been done by it. So we, we put this extra uh, section in here. This position should not be misconstrued as uh, depreciating the wonderful giftedness of the women of our congregation. Indeed, we believe that they will most flourish when they are joyfully filling the countless roles biblically open to them in the life of the church. Further, the session encourages our thinking on specific decisions to be shaped by Scripture. Rather, pre-modern culture, neither pre-modern culture nor, nor current culture should be normative. Um, rules... In the life, roles in the life of the congregation that do not involve teaching or direct ecclesiastical authority should be filled by the most qualified and available people regardless of gender. So long as the authority of the session is clearly acknowledged, needful, of course, for both genders, women may fill roles such as church treasurer, committee chairmanship, and other service areas. So um, when the First Timothy 2 says a woman should not exercise authority uh, over a man in the church or teach, does this mean that uh, you can't you have nothing to learn as a man from women absolutely Absolutely not thank you um does it mean that a woman could not be an effective teacher does it mean that a man has been given special knowledge of the scriptures that's different from women no absolutely not it just means that god set things up 
for his own glory and by his own decision that men need to step up and take leadership positions in the church uh, and women don't. Um, and that's true in the, in, the, in the church and in the family. But to take that further is uh, great wickedness, which, which many do. Um, so the decision that we, the, you've got to flush this out in the life of the church. The decision that we uh, came up with in terms of you have to make practical, this is exactly how we're going to do things. Um, we decided that, and the, the question becomes, comes in at Sunday school, right? So um, how we play things out in worship, uh, elders, uh, or in some cases deacons, will serve public roles in worship. So reading scripture uh, is going to be an elder, um, in some cases, like the Christmas service where we've read tons of passages of scripture, a deacon would take that role. Um, uh, women do not usually uh, read scripture in our worship service. And, that, and people take different positions on that. Um, but the reason that we don't do that is because uh, we believe elders should be in the front first. So why ask somebody else in the congregation, man or woman, to read scripture if an elder is there and called to do it? So that should happen. And we also believe even reading scripture is an exhortation role. We don't believe that the person reading scripture is passive in instructing. Okay, so we don't believe there's, there's, uh, we believe God teaches us through the word, but as we read scripture, uh, there's an exhortation piece of that. Um, Although we're in the same way the pastor is when he's preaching, He's preaching the word of God. Uh, reading is much more tied to the word of God than preaching, um, but also an exhortation role. Um, so where does it come in in Sunday school? So the decision we made is, is women can teach children Sunday school, but above eighth grade, uh, that should be a man in the church. So why is that? It's admittedly arbitrary, but you've got to draw a line somewhere. So that's, that's kind of where we are. If you'll notice in our Sunday school classes, um, in fact, more so in the past couple of years, we've, Rick Vogel's been really big on this, which we're very grateful for, to have men and uh, elders, sorry, in the church present in all, if we can, all the age groups. So elders in the kindergarten class all the way up to adult Sunday school. Um, and we're going to continue as the Lord blesses us with growth to have that presence um, all the way throughout the ages. So, um, so. Now, before I close this topic, I want to go to um, Proverbs 31. Because plenty of, plenty of men in the Reformed Church <clears throat> take the view, uh, and women as well at times, take the view that um, submission means uh, hanging out and waiting uh, from a woman's perspective, hanging out and waiting for their husband to tell them what to do, how to think, what to do, when to do it. Um, and that's uh, just far from, I think, what a biblical godly woman is. Um, Proverbs 31, starting in, in verse 10, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So if we just stop for a second, um, many you all know Proverbs 31 well. This is a woman who is, who is assessing fields, buying it, assessing the profit of the labor of her hands, and, um, and, and going after that. She is uh, making her household uh, profitable. Um, she's in the world. And I think if you look at this, 
Uh, I think this is the best way I've ever been able to explain uh, a godly marriage. Um, this woman is an independent thinker. She's independently productive. Um, she's independently a Christian before God, living her life before God. But the heart of her husband trusts in her. He will, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So you have a husband and a wife, and you have a wife that is independently competent, intelligent, productive. Um, and however, her in, 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 in submission to her husband, right, her priority is to be his advocate and to be his, um, his teammate such that she does him no good, but only, does him no harm, but only good, right? So it's deferential at times, yes. It's submissive at times, yes. If there's a decision to be made and there's a disagreement, somebody's got got, to somebody's make that call, and that happens at times. But it's more of a, uh, a partnership. And as husbands, men, if you lay down your lives for your wives, and you know that your wife is an independent um, person who... Uh, both of you are dependent upon God, but if your job is to lay down your life for her, to love her as Christ loved the church, then you're going to care for her. You're going to explain her to her every step of the, of the way that you, you know, whatever your priority is, you're going to make sure you understand it and also understand if your priority is self-sacrificing and has her best interest in mind over your own. And if that's true, then it will be easy for her to be your advocate and to, and to do you no harm and only to do you good. Okay? So I think the combination of men and women have distinct roles that are laid out in Scripture, and then the Proverbs 31 picture of what a godly woman is, and the guard yourselves, Ephesians 5 interpretation, that the first thing I have to do is love my wife as Christ loved the church. You put all that stuff together, and out pops a godly marriage. Um, it's not... So many young Reformed folks get into the, into, uh, into go through marriage counseling and then figure out, okay, whew, I'm the guy. Now I've got to figure out every right thing to do because I'm going to say it and she's going to say, yes, sir. And then we're going to go about life and it, w- it will prosper as long as I figure out the right thing to do because it's all on me. Um, That's right. Well, I think to your point is okay too. Is when there are times that you need to step and lead. There's a sense when you're connected with your wife and when you're following God, she's looking to you for the leadership to provide direction. Usually, not necessarily to tell her what to do, but direction of this is what we're going to do as a family, as a couple, as whatever. Yeah, and there's no doubt. Uh, you know, our marriage counseling when Adair and I got married, the marriage counseling lasted. You know, we were married by. 
uh, a, a very close friend. He knew us very well. And uh, the past, in fact, the man who uh, did our marriage counseling authored this blue book that you guys are all using. Uh, Dr. Hall was Adair's pastor growing up. Um, and I got to know very well through our dating time. Uh, his, his, the marriage counseling was Adair, submit, submit, submit. And to me, it was, Eric, it may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. And, you know, it's short and sweet. Uh, it's pretty much the extent of our marriage counseling, our premar- premarital counseling. But short and sweet, but I take that very seriously. And it's, a, it's fantastic counsel. Like, things could be going south in your marriage. Things could be going south in your family. And you could be doing everything right, and your wife is just, you know, having a, a bad year and just really doing bad things, maybe. Um, but if that's the case, it's your responsibility, no matter what, to fix it. And it's, that's an easy thing to see from a thousand feet. It's more, though, in an argument, right, when, when, when you guys are having, a, having this kind of thing, uh, you may be right. And our desire as men is to be right and prove it, right? Uh, but the responsibility of a thriving marriage lies with you. Um, and so you have to put, I mean, love your wife as Christ of the church means put that stuff to bed and promote peace when peace is needed uh, for the glory of God and the, and the thriving of your marriage. Um, that whole thing about it, it doesn't matter what happens, um, oftentimes it won't be your fault but it's your responsibility for it to be God-glorifying. Think about what that means, and you won't have much time to worry about whether your wife's being submissive in that moment or not. That becomes completely irrelevant. And you'll find if she trusts you to have her desires above your own, she'll become much more uh, eager to lead, to be led by someone who cares for her as deeply as I know all of you do for your wife. So, um, So any questions or comments on the role of women in the church? Fairly simple. Yeah, so it's a good, good question. So the, the ARP, uh, broadly, I said that earlier in the beginning just briefly, but the ARP position is uh, only men elders, and deacons are, can be men or women as determined by each individual session, where the PCA makes a statement from the presbytery level that only the office of deacon is only for, for men. Now, I said earlier, too, there's a... There's a, some stuff on the floor of Synod right now to review that and maybe change it um, to be more in line with, to be in line with the PCA position. But that's why, you know, individual sessions like ours have to take that statement. But there are ARP churches that exist now that have women deacons, but none have women elders. Uh, there'll be some diversity there. We've we've thought, uh, especially in you'll probably see women um, in different ARP churches. You'll see women participating in the worship service at different levels. Sometimes um, the directory of we've decided that if we're, we're our principle is so much elders need to be in the front leading that. If for some reason we don't have an elder to serve, we'll 
find a deacon. If we don't have a deacon to serve, we'll find uh, one of you men who are in a, on a track to leadership. <laughs> and if we don't, or another elder that may be an elder in a, the church large, but not this church specifically, not installed in this church right now. I um, mean, if we run out of that, we haven't yet. So um, um, we prioritize that so high, uh, those roles that we don't have women or unordained men serving. I mean, often, it's often said a woman can do anything in the church that an unordained man can do. And that's for the most part true. We don't think women and unordained men are that much different. However, you've got a whole group of men like yourselves that are training, and the Scripture tells us that you need to test your gifts. Um, and so there'll be opportunities at times for unordained men that are on a track to leadership to do things that women won't. So it's not really a true statement. In theory, it maybe makes sense, but it's not practically accurate. So any other questions? Yeah, we don't feel any, you know, it's one of the reasons why we write the position papers. One of the reasons why in a new members class we have our position papers right there up front. And um, we don't have, uh, we, I don't recall much pushback at all um, uh, on that. Now, yeah, it is contrary to the larger, I've had plenty of pushback at all in it in my, you know, larger circles of friends that maybe, you know, broadly evangelical, um, it's a complete foreign concept. Um, we went to the, I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago, and we went to the, uh, one of Adair's alumni gatherings at Davidson College, uh, historically Reformed Presbyterian roots, and attended at their alumni event the peace, the Davidson College Presbyterian Church worship service on Sunday morning, and a, uh, a woman was preaching from the front, uh, which uh, that wasn't necessarily surprising, but her sermon was the, 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 the basic theory of her sermon was that the apostles, because of their lack of education, were so simple-minded that most of everything they said in the writings of Scripture are not applicable today because of their lack of education. And if you only come to Davidson, you can, you can get that education and then be more uh, enlightened in your mind. Um, now, I love Davidson, um, but I don't love that nonsense. And that was the only time Adair and I have ever got up and walked out of a, of a, of, <laughs> of a gathering. I wouldn't call it a worship service. Um, so this kind of thinking is hostile because the culture wants to say that men and women are the same. They want to say that there's no distinction of anything related to gender or roles. Um, and again... God gives us principles, and it's not our job to change those principles or, make, or to make them up, depending on what, you know, the waves of culture wants to say. And that's, that's why we had that uh, n- neither postmodern nor modern culture um, should be normative, but the Word of God doesn't change. Uh, and all the winds of, 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 of culture and people's opinions are all over the place. And that's why, that's why we emphasize an elder-led church and not a congregation-led church. And the elder's job is to hold fast to the truth, not to the various opinions of whoever may become our members at any point. 
Um, and that, that, that is why we write, I keep saying it about these papers, that's why we write these papers down. Because you, write, you make a statement that you think is based on God's word by your discernment and the discernment of the elders, and then five years pass, and do you think that you're affected by culture, even as a man of God? Absolutely, right? So that's why we look back to historical documents, because if somebody put a line in the sand, if somebody built a fence post, Neil often says, he probably put it there for a reason, and we need to understand why it's there before we are just so willing to pull it out and throw it away, right? So, okay. Um, so, briefly, I've got, we got this other paper, uh, the ministry and structure of the church. This just defines, from our form of government, the session has um, uh, the right to plan, organize, and administer programs designed to enable the congregation to carry on the mission of, of God in Christ's church, by word and deed in the community and also in the presbytery and the whole world. So we do that by dividing up the different tasks of the church and assigning critical leadership, unordained leadership positions called ministry leaders who run point in their area of expertise uh, to carry on the ministry of the church. Very important. And I'm going to have Chris here in just a second come up and give us, I think it's important to see it, give us an overview of the current snapshot of ministries at Christ Covenant Church and those serving in those leadership positions um, at Christ Covenant Church. Um, men and women, whoever is most uh, gifted in their experience to serve in a specific role, that person should take that office or that position. Um, church treasurer is a great example. Um, I'm not sure, you're probably not going to hit that one, but Eric Ostertag has volunteered to be our church treasurer uh, for a number of years. He's, ha- he's an accountant, he's got this experience, and he wants to serve God by helping our numbers be right. Praise God for that, right? Because there's very few people, that's, a, that's usually a position you have to pay for, because nobody, very few people want to want to do that, and if they do, they don't want to volunteer for it. And Eric's just got a lovely, wonderful heart for, for the church in um, sacrificing that time to to do that. And it's not an easy job. Um, so real quickly, um, a couple principles. We've got six areas of ministry in the church and everything. I talked about an org chart. This is kind of the way our org chart works. A big wide bar that says elders and elders serve as point persons. There's an elder over every ministry in the church and the ministry leaders serve under them. Um, and when we bring new members into the church, uh, we emphasize Ephesians chapter 4 that our job as apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, so many of you have been around here long enough to know that we value your gifts and your giftedness. We help you identify those things and we want you to serve um, as uh, members of the congregation in areas where God's gifted you and where, um, and where through that service God brings you life. Everybody doesn't have to serve in the nursery. We've got to have people serve in the nursery. But we want you to serve where God's gifted you to serve for the good of the body um, and for the growth of the church. I mean, some of you, uh, we have this little slide that we show sometimes that shows uh, how a member trans, you know, goes through the life of the church. Um, and you start from a visitor, and then you start attending. You, may be, you become a member, and then at this point, you're in Christ's covenant, and you're equipping uh, and serving the body. You become an engaged member, and from there, you are just being fed and you may start to, to, to learn how to feed others. Right. And then from that point, you go on a couple of different tracks. You're either on a, 
uh, a member who's on a track that maybe God would be calling that, that man to a church officer position, um, or you're feeding others, uh, or your uh, man or woman could be in a ministry leader role, some, some, some role that would be feeding others or using your gifts to the glory of God. And then all this pool uh, could be sent out, right? So we, you know, somebody goes out and plants a church. Somebody goes out and becomes a missionary. Um, these are few, but from this bubble, from this you know, dotted square, things happen. Um, and it's either the church thrives local or people are trained up and they go out and do likewise um, somewhere else. So, uh, any questions on the high-level theory of of um, of our ministry leader, deacon, elder, ministry leader structure? Before I hand off to Chris here. All right. Well. Okay, so Eric was asking me uh, if I would fill you guys in on the ministries here at the church, which uh, I'm always excited to do, because the ministries at Christ Covenant is really one of the things I think that sets us apart from so many churches in our area and even in our country. Uh, So um, when you think about what makes Christ Covenant so special, there's a, a ton of different things that come up, right? Uh, and rightfully so, at the top is the, uh, the right preaching of God's word, preaching of felt Christ. Other people will mention the excellent leadership that we have here at the church. We have elders uh, who lead. Uh, you'll also hear the warmth of our congregation, that people are welcomed in and assimilated into this community. Uh, but w- one of the things I want to get across this morning is that the ministries at Christ's Covenant absolutely belong on that list as well. Uh, as Eric was touching on, we're uh, a church that's focused on Ephesians 4.11. We want to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Our desire is not to have ministries that are led by uh, paid staff. Uh, so if you think about it, our church has over 400 members, and we have a full-time pastor, a full-time associate pastor, and then a full-time director church of, of ministry. So three kind of full-time staff for a church of over 400 members. Uh, I think that shows kind of the uniqueness of what the Lord is doing here and the seriousness that the session takes in making sure that the saints here at Christ's Covenant are equipped for that work of ministry. And so this really distinguishes, I think, and sets us apart from so many churches is that we want our members to take ownership over the ministries of our church and that the members are really the, uh, a, a part of this engine that's moving the church along when it comes to the ministries. And so what I want to briefly do is, uh, Eric was showing this earlier, there's basically six categories that you're going to see uh, the ministries fall under. Um, Every single ministry of the church finds its source in one of these six areas. So we don't have a ministry that falls outside of this area. And I want to just briefly touch on kind of the, the structure here, we start off, as Eric was talking about, with the, the elders. The elders cast the vision for our ministries. They determine which direction uh, all of our ministries are going to go. So for children's ministry, uh, we uh, had Heather Essery, who was uh, doing the children's ministry for eight years. Um, and she recently stepped down, and Shelby Hallquist came in and took her spot. 
Um, and in, in that situation, we don't see a complete reboot of the children's ministry. Shelby doesn't come in with her ideas and begin to take the ministry in a new direction. Our ministry leaders are following on a path that the elders have set for them, a vision that they have given for those ministries. And as Eric was talking about earlier, the elders take ownership over particular ministries. So each ministry has an elder over that particular ministry. Children's has uh, an elder over that ministry. Uh, nursery has an elder over that ministry. So all of the ministries at our church have an elder that takes responsibility for that particular uh, ministry. Uh, and then t- about two years ago, as the church was uh, beginning to grow, um, the, the elders decided to hire a director of church ministries uh, so that they could continue to focus on their shepherding responsibilities and their, their responsibilities of teaching. Okay, So they uh, brought uh, me on uh, a little over two years ago, and my responsibility was to take the issues that are going on in the different ministries and field those issues, try to solve those issues, equip them for what they're doing without laying that burden on the elders. Uh, so before I was here and before the church was kind of growing at the rate it was, you know, if something was happening in the, the Clapham circles, that uh, ministry leader just reached out to the elder. But as the elders watched the number of families continue to grow on their plate and the, the opportunities to continue to teach to grow on their plate, uh, they felt, I, I thought rather hum- humbly and, and wisely, that they felt maybe the, the ministry leaders were being a little um, shortchanged by their own uh, doing. The, our ministry leaders are so incredible, they didn't want to burden uh, the, the, the elders with these different things. And so they were kind of keeping it to themselves and things were, were happening. So they brought me on to kind of uh, free up uh, the elders in that area. And so my job is to serve as a liaison between the session and the ministry leaders. So I take the vision of a particular ministry that the session has cast to that ministry leader and make sure that the ministry leader is carrying out that vision. So if the, if the elders say, we want for the youth to do X, Y, and Z, I go to that ministry leader and communicate that message. And as they implement that, then if they run into problems with Z, I then go back to the, to the elders and say, look, we, we're working on X, we're working on Y, we're really struggling with Z here. And the session figures out, you know, what are we going to do in this area? Is it a tactic that we need to change? We feel like Z still needs to be here, but the tactic which we've been using is not working. And the elders direct those steps, basically. Um, and those are for, you know, uh, kind of the mission level. Things that are below the mission level, uh, the ministry leaders had the freedom to kind of move on their own and figure out and troubleshoot problems. But when it comes to this is a part of the vision of what this ministry should be doing, if there's trouble there, I relay that back to the, uh, the elders and they kind of decide the direction we need to go and then I bring that back to the ministry leaders. So I kind of serve as the, the go-between uh, in, in that regard. My job is also to recruit ministry leaders um, the ministry leaders, we understand, is oftentimes a seasonal position. Uh, since I've been here, I've seen a lot of ministry leaders uh, roll off from their position. Um, one of the things that I always try to take 
an opportunity to brag on is the fact that we have doubled, more than doubled in size since I arrived here. Uh, and that's typically a bit of a hardship for many churches to handle that amount of growth in such a short amount of time. But I'm talking about with staff. And so what's absolutely incredible here is we've seen a nursery, we've seen a women's ministry double in, in the amount of people that they're serving and in extra responsibilities that come on board. And these members of the church uh, have more than f- kept these ministries thriving as we've seen this kind of growth. However, for some, uh, that, that has brought about a, a time of, of you know, work where they have felt, you know, okay, I've, I've helped the church get to this point, and now I, I feel like my season here is kind of closing down. And my job is to make sure that there's another member of the church ready to kind of plug into that position to continue ministry excellence. So we've had, uh, Dorothy was in our uh, women's ministry. She stepped down and we plugged in Angela Smith. We had Roger, who was doing security. He stepped down, so plugged in Glenn Smith. You know, we've had Heather, who was doing for eight years in the children. She stepped down. We've brought in uh, Shelby Hawkwist. We have multiple, uh, Ruth with greeting. I mean, so this is one of my jobs is to make sure that we have members, again, not people we're recruiting to hire as staff, but members of the church who we're trying to plug in when a member has faithfully given of their time and, and their energy, and God has brought that ch- kind of that chapter to a close. Another responsibility is to train these ministry leaders. So we don't just say, hey, we need, we need somebody in the, the youth or in the children's. Uh, come on in and then see you later. Um, my job is to try to train and equip those saints for the work of ministry. Um, and so one of the things I'm adding this year is uh, we're going to be uh, doing some quarterly trainings. And also we've got a uh, yearly retreat uh, that we're going to be uh, kind of embarking on where there's that training and opportunity to equip the ministry leaders and make sure that they have what they need in order to succeed. We also maintain the, uh, my job is to maintain the health of the ministries. So when I was brought on, uh, the elders asked me to uh, measure KPIs, to develop KPIs for our ministries, key performance indicators, to uh, make sure that the health of these ministries were, uh, were moving in the right direction. And so I broke each ministry into four categories, leadership, and then engagement, functionality, and growth. Okay? For leadership, we want to monitor our leaders and make sure that they're healthy. We're not going to be able to have ministry excellence if we have a ministry who's got 20% of their heart in that ministry. Uh, so every year we measure different KPIs. Does this, uh, does this ministry leader feel equipped? Are they encouraged? Do they understand the, the purpose and the mission of where we're going? We measure these things, and that gives us a snapshot. We look at a dashboard and say, okay, this ministry leader, everything looks very healthy. Everything looks good. And hopefully... We never even really get to a bottomed-out uh, position because we can, we can see that trend if it starts to, to dip. So we measured our leadership. Then we measured the engagement. We want to know when the women's discipleship is uh, uh, hosting Bible studies and doing Harsight, is this something that, uh, that members only, the ladies who are members of our church, attend? Or do, do the guests, the visitors who are women, 
uh, in our community? Are they participating? And if so, do they return or do they only, uh, you know, engage in a Bible study for one, one cycle? We want to know these things so we can, we can see, hey, the women's discipleship's doing great. Our, our members of this church love it, but none of the visitors seem to be participating. Why is that and how can we address that? Uh, so that's a part of our engagement. And then uh, we also have our functionality. Uh, Neil, as a, a leader uh, over worship, uh, could be uh, exactly where he needs to be. And our engagement could be fantastic. We could have tons of members showing up for worship, tons of people in the community coming in. But if we don't have a soundboard going, so Neil can't have his voice projected out there and it can't be recorded, and we also don't have the elements of the Lord's Supper ready, uh, then that ministry begins to suffer. So the functionality uh, needs to be measured, and we do that for each and every ministry. And then lastly, growth. We want to make sure that these ministries are producing uh, uh, growth. And so, like for Clapham Circles, we measure how many of our um, visitors come in to that ministry and then end up becoming members of the church. And it, that, that's an absolutely astounding one because our lowest um, number there indicates that 50% of the visitors who came into Clapham Circles end up becoming members of the church. Our highest was 75%. 75% of the visitors who did a Clapham Circle became members of the church. So this is one of my responsibilities is to maintain the health of the ministries. I'm supposed to assist ministry leaders where help is needed. So we brought in um, Shelby Hallquist. She was brand new uh, when the summer was starting. Uh, Brittany uh, was getting ready to, to do move and all kinds of other things. And we decided we wanted to have two worship services, um, which was going to require two children church uh, services and increased nursery. And so I knew that they were kind of strapped. And so I went off and was recruiting uh, people to join those ministries. That's normally something a ministry leader does. But in that situation, I jumped in and was recruiting a lot of those ministry leaders because I didn't, I, I knew they needed the help there. And that's my job. Basically, I function as a volunteer in every single ministry. And so wherever um, a ministry leader doesn't have the manpower that they need from their volunteer base, I try to fill that gap um, for those ministries. And then my job is also to facilitate the start of new ministries. Uh, so if one of you was really burdened for uh, foster care in this community and you wanted to uh, start a ministry, you would approach me. We would talk about it, get an idea. You would write a proposal. I'd take that to the session. And then the session would decide if, that's, uh, if that falls within that matrix of the six different areas and that that was a need of the church. And if so, they would kind of commission me to work with you to gather a team of volunteers around you to begin making that uh, ministry move forward in the church. So um, that's my job. Now, in some areas of ministry, they don't, those, those ministry leaders don't report to me. Uh, instead, they report to a deacon. So soundboard, which we'll look at in a second for worship, that the the soundboard team does not report to me. They report to a deacon, uh, Lou Wiley, and so that's why I've put deacons underneath there. Um, underneath me, is, uh, those are the ministry leaders. They're executing the vision of the elders. And then under that are the volunteers. And the volunteers are what allow the uh, ministry leaders to do their job. Okay, There's no way that... Um, 
that Carlene can host 80 different people in her home as doing Clapham Circles. She needs people as members to host that in their homes. And so, um, you know, think about this. Think about how many elders we have. Think about how many deacons we have, and then myself, okay? Um, think about that number, and then think about how many ministry leaders we have and how many volunteers they have. They're, the point is, for the, the first two is a much smaller number than the last two. There are a ton of opportunities uh, for people in this church to plug in and to use their gifts to benefit the church. But for all of you, consider you could uh, be anywhere along that trajectory right there. You may, the Lord may use you to uh, end up being an elder or a deacon, a ministry leader, or a volunteer in the church. And and hopefully you understand that uh, every single one of these is critical. If you take away the the volunteers, uh, we're going to end up not having elders because they're going to be burned out trying to do the work of caring for a 400-member church doing all of these uh, ministries. There's no way. So the volunteers, every single position here is critical. Another thing that I want to hit on real quickly before moving on uh, is that if you look at the elders and uh, the deacons, that is, uh, to Eric's point earlier, those are roles that men are filling, okay? So does that mean that women can't serve at Christ's covenant? Absolutely not, because what we already talked about, which was that the bulk of the opportunities lie within the ministry leaders and the volunteers. So the women in our church uh, can be involved in most all of the uh, uh, ministries. Uh, obviously, there's some like men's uh, ministry, but that's not going to be an opportunity. But most of our ministry leader positions are open to women of our church and um, countless uh, volunteer opportunities as well. So Christ's covenant is a place where women can exercise their gifts and their talents uh, calling that God has placed on them in the church. Um, so do y'all have any questions uh, for me up to this point? All right. I'm going to try to just kind of machine gun through these things. That's a, a lot of ground to cover, but I want you to have a, a good understanding of these different ministries. If you come on as an elder or a deacon, these, this is important information for you to, uh, to have. So we'll start first with worship. All right, so worship... Uh, is uh, first off, the, the, the worship ministry is covered by uh, Pastor Stewart. He's in charge of the worship service. Um, and then we have uh, music. Uh, Eric is over uh, the music ministry, uh, but Becca is really the one where, uh, you know, the boots are on the ground, the, the rubber is hitting the road. Uh, so um, I think uh, Becca does a ton of the music and makes uh, Eric's job uh, pretty easy over that. And then Lou Wiley is over the sound booth for our uh, worship. And he's got uh, multiple uh, members of the church who are helping serve with him on that. Um, I think that's pretty... Go ahead. Right. So if Becca decides uh, that she wants to do Kumbaya or something like that, um, she just can't because Eric has supplied her with a list of uh, songs, like uh, the hymns, uh, the songs and the um, psalms that that, that she can choose from. And actually, uh, those are coming to Becca beforehand. Uh, Those are selected for our worship service. So 
So Eric just makes sure that Becca has what she needs uh, to feel equipped to carry out the music for the ministry. And if Becca has any issues, she goes to Eric about that. Um, but Eric, you can speak to it if you want. I, I, I think. Yeah, well, the big picture on all these is that the session is over all of the ministries, right? But in each different thing, the elders, we all, if all the elders were over everything, right, it would be difficult. So you probably know that I, my, one of my emphasis on session is um, stewardship, the budget. The other, one of the other things is, so there's always an elder primary and an elder secondary. session approves a big rotation of, of hymns and spiritual songs and psalms that we sing and now uh, Kyle actually is is basically selecting from that rotation what's going to be sung each Sunday based on what the sermon and the theme of the worship service is um, but I'm just kind of I'm the I'm on I'm the I'm this elder who's on point with Neil on worship Zach did you uh, have a question too? I was just going to say Yeah, the, the session really casts the, the vision for what we want the worship to look like. So the piano is in the back. We don't, you know, have big performances that draw attention to one person that everybody's clapping for them and taking away from the, the service. That vision is cast by the elders, plural, and then uh, Eric, you know, at some point in time, Becca doesn't really need this anymore, but, you know, at some point in time, relayed that message uh, to her. So that's kind of the role of those elders in that position. Division, division of responsibility within the session. The session collectively casts vision, but, but if I'm on point on an area, I'm going to be the guy, um, if there's something to be addressed, I'm going to be the guy pushing it forward. I'm going to be the guy bringing a proposal, say, hey, guys, how about this? Let's consider this. Same way with the budget. When it's time to do it, I'm like, all right, guys, we got you know a month to figure this out. Uh, I'm bringing the proposal. And in the area of, you know, we'll talk about this in a second, somebody else, like Marshall was bringing proposal on the prayer service, for example, or clapping circles, how we need to get organized. It's, uh, uh, elders have to drive individual things, or everybody. if everybody is responsible for everything, nobody will be responsible for anything. Hopefully that's clear. And so uh, when it comes to worship, I don't have any ministry leaders that are reporting to me. Uh, but when we move on to discipleship, which is our next one, many of the ministry leaders report to me. And in those cases, they all have, again, elders that are over those particular ministries. But in effect, uh, really, I'm the one uh, that's communicating uh, between the two. Um, so uh, let's move into uh, discipleship. Um, for our discipleship ministries that do not report to me, uh, we have the adult Sunday school, and that is headed up by Kyle and Eric. Uh, they're making sure that each year they have an, uh, an understanding, uh, a vision of where the track is going for Sunday school that year, making sure that uh, everything is, is ready to go there. And then men, the men's ministry, men's discipleship, kneels over that, and DTS, and then uh, the Friday morning Bible studies and the occasional men's gathering together. The buck stops there with, uh, with Neil. Uh, but then in other areas, like women's discipleship, 
Um, this is something that Marshall is over, uh, but really, in reality, uh, Angela meets with me regularly to, um, to talk about this, this ministry. Uh, so Angela, she, I could give you a ton of stuff that all of these ministry leaders do. I tried for your sake to limit it to about three bullet points for each person. Uh, she's organizing two weekly Bible studies uh, during the school year and then also uh, gets a summer Bible study organized. She recruits members for leading those Bible studies. So there's four members of the church uh, plugging in to leading those Bible studies. She also organizes fellowship events to better promote the engagement in discipleship settings. Uh, so there's six members of the church. Uh, Judy Thompson is kind of, uh, or Thomas is working uh, alongside of Angela to bring about maybe two or three socials a year for the ladies. And she's getting a team of about five ladies with her. So six members of the church plugging in here. And then uh, Harside is under Angela, okay? Uh, but Angela has Heather uh, Yonjoff, who is carrying out this ministry uh, for her. So Angela and uh, Heather work together on that. And Heather is recruiting eight members to open up their homes for these studies to take place. So you can see immediately just in one ministry, um, you've, you've got about 20 uh, members who uh, are needed to make this go forward and, and to operate. Um, and then we've got uh, the Children's Discipleship, Shelby Hallquist. Uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, she is the ministry leader there. Her uh, role is to organize Children's Church and to recruit members to, to lead that. There's 20 members that we need uh, to uh, be able to effectively carry out um, uh, Children's Church week in and week out. Uh, she also helps to organize uh, children's Sunday school. So I've been speaking with her this past week about certain people to maybe contact uh, to uh, add to our uh, Sunday school teachers, making sure that we have supplies and all that kind of stuff she's on top of. And then she's also starting something new this year that Rick and I had been talking about. Uh, we felt like it'd be good if the, the younger children had an opportunity to have some opportunities outside of Sunday to kind of spend some time together. So the uh, session okayed a budget for that, and this year she's going to try to organize a couple socials each year. She's actually doing a kickoff to school year, I think on the 19th of September, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, so that's uh, a fantastic uh, new development there. Um, we also have uh, the youth, and I'm right now kind of the interim over that. Um, the, the design, the hope, is for me to be temporary. Uh, when I was hired... Um, I was told this was really an area that needed uh, work. It needed to be retooled. And so I've come in um, and I'm actively trying to get things so that I can exit out as a ministry leader and continue to serve in a volunteer capacity. So in order to do that with the youth, we, before I came, we were looking for a, ministry, uh, a member of this church to organize discipleship opportunities, social opportunities, service projects, mission trips, all those kinds of things. Well, my previous position was a youth director. You can't do that. That's like, I spent over 40 hours a week easy trying to do that kind of position. So what I decided to do is to retool that to where I've got a discipleship team, and I've, uh, and I've got about six people uh, who are working with me there to do Sunday school, pray for me, monthly Bible studies, and monthly small group. And I've got that little uh, sphere going. And then uh, that was year one. 
uh, year, uh, or actually that was year two. Year one was organizing monthly socials, but a new development to that is I got that off of my plate and I got eight members from our church to come together and take ownership over providing monthly socials for our students. So last night we had about, I think, over 30 students at the Anderson's house. So Corey and Brooke hosted uh, that event. It was fantastic. I, I didn't do anything other than just show up. And, uh, and that is a, a fantastic thing because whoever's going to be the ministry leader needs to not have all that time uh, taken away from them and trying to organize and run those things. Year three, I'm trying to bring on missions and service opportunities, quarterly service projects and a summer mission trip. I've talked to Ben Rowland. He's going to be the, the leader over that. And I've got about three other men who've agreed to help him. And I'm trying to recruit some more men who are going to plan those uh, for the youth so that hopefully I can exit uh, and a man uh, of this church can uh, take that position and I'll just serve as a volunteer. That's part of my responsibility. If, if something, if a ministry leader kind of disappears from their, their position, I fill that gap until there's a member to, to take that place. Um, and then lastly, uh, for this area, we have uh, college and careers which has been amazing to see. John and Jane Perez have done a fantastic job. This two years ago, we had about two or four people in this ministry. And uh, right now, we're, we've got over 30 uh, who, are, who are taking advantage of this uh, ministry. So John and Jane have done a fantastic job. They're, they're a joy to work with. They organize a monthly study at their home, and they're trying to recruit uh, members to join them in this, uh, in this effort. And they also organize monthly socials. And again, they've uh, recruited Cameron and Logan Alexander to help them with this. Cameron and Logan are amazing at, at organizing those events. And then they're organizing service opportunities. So the college and career have made meals, frozen them for deacons to pass out. And they also are cooking the uh, fellowship meal on, in February for the, the whole church. Uh, so uh, great things are happening there. So that's the discipleship uh, component. Do y'all have any questions about those uh, ministries before we move on? All right, so the next one is evangelism. I'm not going to spend much time on this because uh, you just heard from Jim recently. Jim is over uh, evangelism. We used to have a ministry leader in this uh, position. Stephen Bryant was the missions ministry leader. But when Stephen stepped down, the elders decided they wanted to retool this ministry a bit. And we haven't um, brought on a ministry leader uh, yet at this position. Um, but eventually, uh, we will be bringing that person on. And they will, uh, again, kind of uh, work closely with me and, and with Jim uh, over outreach and our missions. Uh, I don't think there's probably any questions since Jim just went over that. Uh, so let me go ahead and go to Mercy. In Mercy, we have care and benevolence, and this is a uh, deacon-led uh, role here. So George Miriam is over care and benevolence. Um, I also think I should have put on here uh, Terry Crayon is really doing an amazing job in this area for us as well. Um, and then we have our meal ministry, uh, which means when we have a family that is dealing with sickness, um, when we have a family that is rejoicing in the birth of a new child, um, Marshall is, is over this ministry of providing meals, but Michael Ann is the one, uh, again, with the boots on the ground who's making that happen. Um, 
And then we have the showers ministry, which is, again, a part of this mercy uh, category, and that's Joy. Uh, she is uh, tasked with the responsibility of celebrating every single baptism here at this ch- church. Uh, we like to uh, make a big deal out of baptisms and celebrate that. And so she does a cookie reception for each one. So after I'm done uh, or, or this class is done, uh, there's going to be a cookie reception. Uh, Samantha Perez is being baptized during this 9 o'clock service. And then Holland Day is going to be baptized at the service that y'all will be at. Um, and so there's a celebration for that. Many of you have probably uh, partook in those uh, eating of those delicious cookies. Many of you have probably not thought about the fact that there's someone who on the weekday is struggling with their young children in a uh, Costco trying to buy you know, hundreds of cookies and then come early and get that set up. But we have uh, a member of our church who's doing that. Um, we also celebrate each wedding with a bridal shower. So if you look in your bulletin today, you'll see on the 20th, I think of... Um, I think it's of this month, um, we're going to have a bridal shower for Mary Ostertag. This is something that Joy is taking the lead, uh, getting other uh, women from the church involved with in throwing this, this uh, shower. So she's recruiting members there. Uh, she also celebrates each baby that's born into the congregation with a shower as well because we want to emphasize that we're a church that celebrates life. We're a church that celebrates families. Um, and so this is a really important mercy ministry, and Joy does a, a tremendous job with that. Another one is uh, our nursery, which Brittany Bash is our uh, ministry leader there. And she's recruiting and managing up to 32 volunteers so that we can maintain a two-month rotation. We're, uh, we're under that number of 32 right now. We're trying to get that up. Um, right now, she organizes nursery for the morning worship service. The elders have asked us to move towards also doing an evening nursery, uh, but we can't really do that. And this is a perfect illustration, really, of why members matter at this church. Until we get to 32 and can do this regular rotation, we can't offer an uh, evening worship service for nursery because we don't have the manpower. Uh, so, again, if we have... Uh, very few members take responsibility and ownership over a ministry. We, we are limited in the actual uh, functions that we can, we can offer. So this is why a picture of why it's so important that our members are pouring into different ministries. Uh, she organizes the, the scheduling, cleaning, and supply ordering. Uh, so it's uh, a, quite a, a ministry there that she's over. Do you all have any uh, questions uh, concerning the hospitality? All right. And then uh, the next one I want us to, or that was mercy, forgive me. The next one is hospitality. And here we have the uh, coffee. I think many of you have been appreciating that uh, this morning. Uh, Sonny is over that ministry, but uh, Ben McIndoe is the one who's, again, making sure that that really uh, happens. Uh, The Agape Dinners, uh, Marshall's over that. And again, Mike Land is uh, organizing and and making sure that those happen every first Uh, Sunday of the month. And again, we don't cater. We're not, uh, I mean, every now and then if we need to, we will. Uh, But what we're doing is, uh, I think, in being um, along with our mission is we're asking members of the church to uh, provide uh, for those meals. And so members step in, sign up for a month and prepare uh, the food. Uh, We've got uh, men like Jacob who uh, faithfully, and I was talking to Zach the, the other day, who are faithfully just cleaning up a personal thing, like I love seeing men pick up dishes 
and you know washing dishes and stuff like that, taking uh, positions that maybe our, our culture says is, is not areas where we should be, and just stepping up and serving in those ways. Um, and uh, so again, an area where we need members of our church. Um, another area is hospitality with uh, the greeting team. Karen Freeman has uh, taken over this position and she makes sure that greeters are present at morning and evening worship. She has at least 10 uh, that are working with her and she's uh, trying to recruit a few more currently. Um, she makes sure that greeters are present not only at the morning and evening worship, but also if we have a conference like we did with Ligon Duncan and Derek Thomas, that we have greeters for that, new members class. And then, you know, uh, when we have funerals, we have uh, greeters who are there to open the door, uh, to uh, give them any information that they may need when they arrive. She also is organizing a monthly visitor's reception. This is helpful for you guys to know. Every third Sunday of the month, we're hosting a visitor reception so that people who have come in over the last month can have an opportunity to meet a few elders, meet some ministry leaders, ask some questions, and really begin, we can get their information, they can get some information from us, and we can make sure that we're plugging new people into uh, the church. And then she updates a weekly new visitor list so that if, uh, if Kyle is looking and, and trying to figure out who's new to the church, he's got a list of names. And whenever Karen can, she also is trying to provide phone numbers and other information so that Kyle can follow up. Um, Clapham Circles, this is led by Carlene. And uh, she oversees uh, two cycles every uh, year. And she deals with all the issues that arise when she's, uh, you know, got everybody lined up for a cycle. And two days before it starts, someone was like, oh, we were a host. We'd, I don't know how that happened. We didn't mean to sign up for it. Uh, and then she's got to scramble and find a new host. She, she does so much behind the scene that people don't think about. Um, she recruits hosts. So right now, last cycle was 10 hosts. And she organizes all the participants into a circle. She tries to take 80 people and figure out where do they live and how can I plug them into a circle where they don't have to drive a, a super distance? How many kids do they have? Do they have kids? Do they want to be? I mean, she's going through all this stuff for 80 uh, people trying to make sure that the Clapham Circle experience is a good one for everyone. And she works with Marshall to uh, provide cultural engagement questions each month for the circles to discuss. All right, so any questions over hospitality? All right, then that brings us to our last one, which is... It was misspelled? That's, that's the only spelling error you found? Because I'm, I'm doing pretty good. That's all right. That's all right. Y'all are going to make me question everything. I, when it comes to spelling, that is not a strength of mine. Uh, but I rely on that little red squiggly line to help me out. Um, so stewardship. Uh, we have uh, finance, which Eric was saying earlier, he takes over that. Um, and Eric Ostertag, I, I was planning on mentioning it, but he already has. Eric's just done an unbelievable job. Um, <clears throat> being over all these ministries, you wouldn't believe how many receipts I send to him at all hours during the day to, to Eric. And, I mean, it is, it is quite a job, and he does it just cheerfully with great humility. He's, he's fantastic. Um, and then communications. Uh, our bulletin, website, uh, all those kind of things. That's uh, Jim. He's over that. And we just hired on Laura Kunkel. She's going to be our communications director. And she, uh, she is 
going to work with Kyle uh, in, in uh, kind of as a staff reporting to Kyle, but ultimately uh, Jim uh, in the, the past has been over the communications. And then maintenance, we have uh, Lou Wiley, who's over that as one of our deacons, and Brian Smith is our sexton. And then for the facility team, uh, Paul Holst is over that, and Adair uh, is, is chairing that. The part of the stewardship that reports to myself uh, is, is uh, this good-looking man right here, uh, Glenn. Uh, so he is uh, making sure that the church has security in the morning and in the evening. Um, now, Glenn is working with other uh, four security leads. Um, so he is the uh, go-to, the point man out of the four leads. Um, but this is something different. When Roger was over security, he was the sole ministry leader. Uh, Glenn uh, has other uh, ministry leaders that he's working with, but he's the point man. So he and I work together a good bit on security. Uh, he also makes sure uh, that the security team is providing security at special events. So many of you uh, have been blessed by these men who are making sure that our wives and our mothers are uh, safe when they're coming to the women's Bible study, for instance, in the evening. Um, so uh, that's something where you've got men who are taking out their time on a, uh, you know, uh, I think it's a Tuesday evening to come up to the church and be present just so that our wives and our mothers are uh, being cared for and watched after. Um, and they uh, recruit volunteers. There's four leads and uh, 18 volunteers, and they're looking for more um, uh, to make sure that people aren't being overused in that position. So uh, they're at this moment actively recruiting for more uh, volunteers. So that uh, wraps up everything, and just kind of want to end with you thinking about where is God using you as a member of this church. Remember all the way back to the beginning, uh, God may be using you here to become an elder, or he may be using you to, to be a uh, volunteer in one of these particular ministries or anywhere in between. The only place I hope he's not calling you to is the director of church ministry. Um, I'd like to keep that. But, um, so uh, there, there are areas for every single person to serve at this church. Uh, if you have any questions about, uh, you know, how you can get more involved or anything like that, please feel free uh, to uh, come speak with me. But, Eric, that's about it for the ministries. So if we went one of these sessions without holding you for an hour and a half, we would not be giving you your money's worth. So. I just want to make a couple just closing remarks here um, to in the context of what Chris just presented and to better answer your question. Um, turn with me to First Timothy chapter three, if you have a Bible. Um, we've dwelled a lot, especially last week on the, the saying is trustworthy and the and the and the qualifications for the office of elder. <clears throat> Kyle probably hit First Timothy three. Um, verse 8 and following on a few weeks ago when he discussed the diaconate. Um, but I want to share with you two, two passages, um, 1 Timothy 3 and Romans 16, uh, to give you some context to uh, how people who choose to make an argument for uh, women deacons, where they get this, uh, this basis. Um, and I, I think you can see that we embrace this as well. 
uh, but just with a distinction. So let, let, me, let me read this here. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And then this abrupt shift in verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded. And it goes on to talk about um, these qualifications or these uh, characteristics that you would see as well. Now, this, this word, you don't see a similar uh, abrupt shift in the qualifications for elder, right? In, the, in three and following. Starting in verse 8, you then have the abrupt shift to wives. Um, and the translation uh, is literally women. Um, so some view this passage as that, that to suggest and, to, and to, to underline that there's two sets of qualifications, qualifications for deacons and qualifications for women who are also deacons. Others say that acknowledge that women uh, have a unique responsibility and ability to serve in the ministries and the mercy ministry of the church alongside the deacons or under the deacons. Um, and that's the position that we take, as you saw the pictures up here, numerous women serving in diaconal type of mercy roles in the life of the church, but not uh, in an ordained role. And that's, that distinction, I think, in scripture is, is showing that there's not a likewise their wives or likewise women in the description of the qualification for elders because our wives as elders our wives don't share in the spiritual oversight or spiritual authority role uh, of the office of elder that's a distinct thing that the wives don't participate in um question Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying that I agree with that position. I'm saying that that's the, the combination of the, the pivot to women, right, and then the combination of, and what you're saying is true, we hold to that the ordained office of deacon is male only, without question. Uh, that's one example. I think inconsistency with male headship in the family and in the church as a, as a larger principle is another reason. Um, however, women serving in roles, volunteer roles, that look a lot like deacons, although not ordained, is, happens all the time. Women work alongside the deacons to serve the church, care for people, especially there's scriptural basis, uh, direct scriptural basis for older women coming alongside younger women. Those are mercy roles as well. Uh, Zach? That's right. Sanishari. <clears throat> yeah, so that's the other place. The, the, those who would make an argument for women deacons sit on Phoebe, and they sit on that shift in uh, 1 Timothy 3. Um, so that's where it comes from. I think a right place to serve. And, and Phoebe, is she a, is she a servant uh, in the church and, and helping and um, you know, working to... Uh, take care of the people? Absolutely. Do all these women that serve at Christ's covenant, are they doing those things? Absolutely. Are they, is it called out in scripture that these women should be an ordained office of authority in the church? Uh, and I think the answer is no. Our, our session says the answer is no. 
Um, the PCA says no. Um, some sessions in the ARP say yes. Um, and the broad evangelical church at large says yes to deacons and elders. And as we say at times, you can make, it's easier to say, okay, good men can make a biblical argument, although inconsistent, we think, for male, for women deacons. You can't make a biblical argument for, you've got to just kind of ignore the Bible to make an argument for women elders or women overseers. So hopefully that's clear. Those that make that argument sit on Phoebe and sit on 1 Timothy 3, pivot to, um, pivot to women. Yeah. Yeah, you got it's uh, you got to start doing uh, gymnastics and and uh, round offs and cartwheels to get there when you start doing that. But so anyway. Excellent. Um, so any other questions, David? Did you have something, or were you just? Um, so this is an important important thing for for the officers of the church to understand. Uh, I failed to to express the session's appreciation for Chris. He was our first staff hire um, as the church was growing, and we um, spent, as Chris can tell you, we spent a lot of time um, kind of scrutinizing Chris, and he has far exceeded our expectations in his heart for the church, heart for people, and heart for the vision that we've set forward. Um, It's just lockstep that we're not going to be a church of customers or consumers. We're a church who believes in rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty and doing the work of the ministry. Um, and Chris is just a great champion of that and, and great encouragement to all these people who serve with, with hearts filled with joy and gladness. And even at times we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the fact that there's times when people just struggle because it's hard, right? Um, but you do a good job. So we're grateful for you. Uh, any other questions? Okay, let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day, for your worship uh, service, that the services that we can uh, participate in here at Christ's Covenant for the ministries, the, the work of the ministry that you're doing in our midst, and for all those people uh, that serve uh, to bring about the encouragement of your people and the advancement of your kingdom. Uh, we pray that you would speak to us now as we go to worship, uh, that you would convict us of our sin, draw us near to you, Uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.